Again, thanks, ladies. That was good. But what a great message that song has, huh? Well, I'll tell you what. Have you ever been in the uh, in the storm? And boy, I tell you what, the eye of the storm. Like they say, it's perfect calm there. Uh, sometimes, though, you got to come right back out of that eye, though, right? So even though you find that peace, you're going to be blasted with the winds of that trouble and trial again as soon as you get out of His presence. And that presence is what gives us the strength to keep going. Amen. And if we don't find His presence, then we're get we get you know, knocked over by that wind, you know, we're going to lose, lose, you know, lose the victory and lose the battle. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 tonight, uh, Colossians chapter 3, I, a bird told me that it's pastor appreciation night tonight, that means that there's refreshments waiting, so let's see if we can't move along here tonight, okay? I want to begin in Colossians chapter 3 verse 15, just one verse tonight and then we'll uh, mention a little bit about the passage and, and then move on to a simple thought again, you know. And uh, so let's go ahead and read that and we'll, we'll go from there. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be Ye thankful. Father, we come to you, and Lord, tonight, we do ask, Lord, you'd speak, that you'd work and move. Lord, I pray you'd fill me and help me to be an instrument in your hand that will be a blessing tonight. Thank you, Father, for these that have gathered this evening for the express purpose of hearing from you. Lord, may you just uh, do your work in our lives tonight. We thank you for the place that we have to meet, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to enter into your presence, and to worship you and praise your name, we thank you. Lord, we just ask tonight that once again you would do your perfect work in our imperfect lives. Thank you that in Christ we are perfect, that that seed which remains in us is sinless. And Father, we know in this flesh dwelleth no good thing, so help us uh, to yield our lives to you more and more each day. We love you now, we thank you, in Christ's name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, obviously is a passage that sets, is in a setting. And of course, in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, uh, leading up to this particular verse, we're admonished to put off some things in the Christian life. To put off some things. Now, we don't have time to look at it or to discuss it, but a number of things as believers were to put off. I mean, we come to Jesus Christ and the moment we're saved, the Bible tells us there's some things that we need to put off. But then on the other hand, there are some things we need to put on. And so there is that constant change in the Christian's life, the believer's life. I'm sure that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were very aware of some things you had to put off. 
But even as we've been children of God for some time, even whether it be years or decades, the fact is there's this work that God is doing. He hath begun a good work in us and will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And the fact is, is that there's some things that we need to put off on a regular basis as he reveals them to us, as he shares those with us. And as we said, there are some things that we need to put on. Now, when we reach our passage here, we're told, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts right off the bat. We see that if there's going to be something we need to make sure that we're receiving and applying and putting on, it's the peace of God. And, and that's something that is very elusive in many people's lives, isn't it? The peace of God. You know, that peace is expressed very clearly in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. We see that peace enabling Peter to sleep on the very night that he was, uh, uh, the, the very night before he was due to be executed, to have his head chopped off more than likely. And yet we find Peter resting asleep in a jail cell. We see that peace shining in the face of Stephen as once again he's facing the council and the rabid people as they demand his very life. We see that peace in a Philippian jail where Paul and Silas are found singing even though they're facing the, the, the horrible stocks, stockade and their back has been shredded by a whip. I mean, we're seeing this take place right before our very eyes. And in the New Testament, this peace is something that is very real in the lives of the characters of the Bible. We see that peace fill the heart of Paul while he is on a ship and a storm comes. And it appears that there'll be certain shipwreck, and there was, but he found peace. I know there are situations and circumstances in all our lives and our, that peace of God doesn't always find its way into our lives. It's not because it's not already there in the person of Jesus Christ. It's because we don't allow it to rule in our hearts. The word translated rule in this particular passage, and it's the only time that it's used this way, is better illustrated than it is described. Let me give you kind of an illustration. Most of us have seen a, a baseball game. And of course there are two opposing teams and Sooner or later, somebody's going to cross the plate and say, for instance, they're coming around third base. A ball had been hit into the outfield. The outfielder takes the ball and fires it into home plate. The catcher catches the ball, makes the tag at home plate. And the umpire, hold on, each team says, safe. One of the teams says safe, I should say. The other team says, they're out. Well, which is it? They get to arguing and they get the words get to flying and even maybe a manager runs out and starts kicking dirt on the umpire. Possibly the bench is clear at times. Why? Because there's a disagreement on whether safe or whether out. And so they call upon what? An umpire. An umpire is an unbiased observer. An umpire is somebody that is closely watching the game. An umpire is somebody that ultimately rules on that play. And says, safe or out. And that's how Paul is using the word rule here. Like an umpire that's ruling. He said, let the peace of God rule. Let it umpire. Let it come to a conclusion. When conflict arises in our hearts and lives, we're to let peace rule. And peace will always rule in its favor. 
You'll never find any time in the Word of God where fear or conflict are something that's supposed to be in the hearts and the minds of believers. We're to allow peace to rule, the peace of God to rule in our hearts. The reaction many times from believers is, well, that sounds good and all, but, I mean, does it really work? Well, when Paul wrote this particular passage, Colossians chapter 3, he was chained to a Roman soldier and he was awaiting a ruling from Nero. If you know anything about Nero, he was a very wicked and wretched king. An emperor that had no regard for God, no regard for right. And yet his fate was in the very hands of a Roman ruler. And there as he was chained to a Roman soldier waiting for the charges of treason to be judged and ruled on, Paul found peace. As a matter of fact, Paul is ultimately writing and he's still continuing to do the work that Christ called him to do. And the peace of God was acting as an umpire in his heart and ruling in favor of peace. Again, think about Paul at Rome for a minute. Think about how he's lost his freedoms. He's no longer able to fulfill the work, the calling, the purpose that he believes God's called him to do at that point. He better have the peace of God because if not, he's saying to himself, hey, what am I doing in a jail cell? Why am I? And in this case, he was at least locked in a house. He was under Roman guard. But his ministry had been curtailed. I mean, his plans to reach out and evangelize the world had been finished, so to speak. I mean, it would have been easy for Paul to say to himself, why in the world should a tyrant that's sitting up there in Rome be the one to judge me? Of all people. And i, I got to believe I know how he's going to rule, by the way. If we could hear him in prayer, the Apostle Paul, we may have heard something like this. Thank you, Lord, for this prison. At least it's a house and not a dungeon. Thank you that I'm still allowed to receive my friends like dear Epaphras here. I mean, thank you, Lord, that I can still pray and write. Thank you for the opportunities I have to tell these guards of mine about Jesus Christ so that now the entire Praetorian Guard has heard about you. Thank you for enabling me to meet this runaway slave, Omnisimus. If it wouldn't have been for the fact that I'm here in Rome... He might have died in his sins. And so it would go on and on and on with the Apostle Paul. Because Paul could always find something to be thankful for. See, there's no way we can thank the Lord in the midst of chaos and confusion in our lives. It's very difficult. We need the peace of God to rule in our hearts. And ultimately, he ends this verse by saying... And be ye thankful. And that's what the Apostle Paul was. Thankful. We have a lot to be thankful for tonight. We really do. You know, again, we face this Thanksgiving holiday season and it takes us right on into Christmas. But Thanksgiving is a very special time in American history. 
And again, we've lost sight, really, of what the purpose of it was and the emphasis of Thanksgiving was. We will use terms like it's Turkey Day and things like that, but really, that totally demeans the real purpose behind Thanksgiving. The fact is, is that we could hear George Washington making prayers and thanking the God of heaven for the opportunity to have the nation that we now have. We can hear, uh, as some would say, well, the the real first uh, president to really make it an official holiday for the entire nation, and that would be true, would be Lincoln. But the fact is, is that these men in the past, contrary to whatever deficiencies it seems that our media and others want to place on them today, were men of God that saw the need to thank the Creator Himself for the nation that we now have and the liberties and freedoms that we possess in America. I'm about fed up about people wanting to take down monuments of men who literally forged our nation's future that made it possible to have what we have today. If anything has taught us something about about the future, it is our past. And the the fact is, is that when we forget our past, we have no real future. And I'm going to tell you something. We better be real careful. Read something about a man by the name of George Washington sometime. Read about his character and read about some of his escapades and some of his feats and the kind of courage and the kind of fortitude that he that he showed while they were in battle there in Valley Forge and everywhere else. It's ridiculous what's going on in our culture right now. We have a nation that has been forged by the blood of men and even women through the years. We cannot forget them. The sacrifices that were made. These men understood that God deserved the glory. That God deserved to be elevated and to be exalted and to be preeminent in our country. Whether they were in politics or whether they were just simply in private business. They realized, people realized that there was a God in heaven. And that our nation owed him a tremendous debt. We have a lot to be thankful for as well. We have our families. We have our church. We have our friends. We have a lot of other things as well to be thankful for. But most important of all, we have God. I mean, we ought to be thankful for God. We have a God who can be trusted. We have a God who can be treasured. We have a God who can be touted. Why? Because He is that kind of God. And we ought to be grateful and thankful for that. And tonight, I just want to touch on those thoughts just real quickly tonight. Thankful for God. A God who can be trusted. A God who can be treasured. And a God who can rightfully be touted. So let's have... Well, we already prayed, didn't we? Did we pray already? See, I'm always in the habit of praying, I guess. That's a pretty good habit to get into, right? So here we go, trusted. Turn to Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. We'll not take long tonight, but look at this real quickly. We have a God who can be trusted. But we ought to be thankful for that. You know, I know we want to be thankful. We talk a lot about being thankful for the wife God's given us, thankful for the, the children God's given us, thankful for the home God's given us, thank you for the, thankful for the cars and the job and the, the future and the health and all those things. And those are good things. We ought to be grateful for every, every single one. But the very one who ultimately gives us those things sometimes is neglected. Do you know you can be thankful for your job and not be thankful to God for your job? Any heathen can be thankful. 
But we're God's people. We ought to be thankful for Him. Because He's the one that provides all of it. Notice what it says in Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. Thanks for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. I'll tell you what, He can be trusted today. His word can be trusted. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, when we hold this book in our hand, the Word of God, we can honestly read it and study it and memorize it, and we know what we hold in our hand is truth. And, and let me tell you, it is something that can be trusted. Trusted to direct, trusted to guide, trusted to lead, trusted to give you the very answers that you need on a daily, regular basis. In Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, the Bible says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Let me tell you, these words can still be trusted after all these years. They've been preserved. Someone says, yeah, well, we received the originals, and when we got the originals, they were inspired. But then they were copy after copy after copy. Man got his hands on those copies, and man has wrecked and ruined the Word of God, and now there's error within its pages. My friend today, this is not man's Word. This is God's Word. And the fact is that God has preserved His Word from this generation forever, He says. But we have a Word that can be trusted. God's Word that can be trusted. Psalm chapter 119, verse 100 says, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Wow, what an amazing thought. The psalmist says, I understand more than the ancients. What's he saying? He said, I know more than a lot of the older people. I know more than those that have even gone before me. I, I know more than some of those that were lifted up and elevated in our culture and our society throughout these centuries. The fact is, the reason why that's the case, though, isn't because I'm so special. It's because the Word of God is so special. And I've hidden it in my heart. And I've kept the precepts. And I've lived the life that the Bible tells me to live. That's why he knows the Word of God. How much of the Word of God do we really know? He says, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I know the Word and I apply the Word. It's really not enough to just know it, is it? Have you ever talked to somebody and said, I know what the Bible says. But they're not doing it? You ever run into somebody like that? Of course you have. We all have. Matter of fact, probably we've all been there. Psalm 119, 104 also goes on to say, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Proverbs 13, 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. Boy, I'll tell you what, we've got a word, the word of God that can be trusted. I'll tell you what, you could not trust God himself if you couldn't trust what he says. And we've got a word that's trustworthy. There's a lot of people that you'll come into contact with in the future. Maybe they're trying to sell you insurance or sell you a car or sell you a house or sell you this or sell you that. Maybe they're trying to do something for you or on your behalf. May I say that you may question their words. You may wonder if what they're saying is really true. But you never have to question. You never have to wonder whether or not this book is honestly true. It can be trusted 100% because it's not my word, it's not your word, it's his word. Trusted. But not only his word, but his way. 
Again, it's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to apply the truth. We ought to be thankful for God, the very God in heaven, and thankful for God because He can be trusted. And He can be trusted because His Word is true and it can be trusted and His way can be trusted. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Turn, if you would, to, to um, Proverbs thirteen fifteen. I just like this verse, so I threw it in there. But you know, the way of the Lord is tried, as he said already. And I'm telling you, it's tried. His way is perfect. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. It's, excuse me. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. Notice what it says here in Proverbs thirteen fifteen. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Now listen, before you think that it's better out there in the world, young people, before you get caught up in this idea that, boy, I tell you what, if I could just, you know, drink a little bit, have a little immorality in my life, go out and test the waters a little bit, sow a few wild oats, the mo- before you get thinking like that, let me tell you, the way of the transgressor is hard. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I know there's pleasure in sin for a season. And, and if anybody tells you different, they're going contrary to the Word of God. But my friend, it will catch up to you and there's a price to pay for your insubordination and your sin. God's trying to spare you trouble and He's trying to spare all of us trouble and worry and everything else that goes with it. He's saying, listen, you need to walk my way. You need to go my direction. You need to know what my Word says and you need to apply that truth to, the, to your life. And you need to walk in my footsteps. Well, I'll tell you what, he can be trusted because his word can be trusted. His way can be trusted. Not only that, but, you know, we have a God that we ought to be thankful for because, you know, he can be treasured. He's one to be treasured. You say, well, what would cause him to be treasured? I'll tell you what, his compassion makes him someone to be treasured. His compassion. Look in Psalm chapter 78, verse 36. As we deal with the children of Israel in the Old Testament, he's going to make a statement here in the book of Psalms. I don't know about you, but I I like to deal with people that are compassionate toward others. I tell you, it's it's um, if if I'm in a mess or even if I'm going along well in life, I like to run into people who actually have compassion for you where you're at and what's going on in your life. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Now, I'm not saying they have to agree with me. I'm not saying that they have to endorse my behavior or my, 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 my uh, actions or attitudes. But, boy, I sure would like to think there's a little compassion there. Well, there's nobody that had compassion like Jesus did. Psalm chapter 78, notice what it says in verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Boy, I'll tell you what, is that, is that a reflection of our culture? Is that a reflection potentially even of our own lives at times? I mean, think about that. Look at that simply. Nevertheless, did they flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongue. Man, they were talking a good game. But then when it all got said and done, they weren't doing what they said they were doing. And their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. They weren't obeying the word of God. They weren't walking in his way. But he, being full of compassion. We better be thankful for the compassion of our Lord. Being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. 
Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Aren't you glad for a compassionate father? I mean compassionate. He goes on to say, For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Boy, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the God, for God himself. And I'm thankful, I'll tell you, I'm thankful because he, is, he can be treasured. Treasured for his compassion, but also treasured for his consistency. Aren't you glad he's a consistent God? In Hebrews 13, 8, you probably know the verse that says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you know that he's always the same? That's why we are able to trust even his word. He doesn't change things. He doesn't say one thing one time and then turn around and, and say another thing. What he says he means and what he means he says. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His consistency. Do you know he loved me when he, when he uh, uh, before the world was ever founded? He loved me when Jesus Christ hung on a cross. He loved me when I was literally born and in my sin. He loved me no matter what, no matter when. He loves me. He is consistent. Isn't that wonderful? The consistency of God. Now listen, people will say, I love you, but then later on, they don't act like it. People say, I'm your friend. But then they'll stab you in the back. They'll say, I'm there for you. And you got a need and they say, well, I didn't really mean that. Not Jesus Christ. Not the God that we serve. He's consistent. And by the way, let me just warn you, okay? The Bible says we're not to trust in man anyway. Now, that's not saying that we can't trust people But you better be real careful. We talked about this in our singles class. You better always be careful. On one hand, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, we have people. Nothing wrong with trusting some people. But you can never trust people more than you trust Him. It's true in every aspect of our life. We have to be careful. But boy, He is consistent. He is consistent. But not only that, we can... You know, we, we're thankful for God because He can be treasured. His compassion, His consistency, and His care for us. His care for us. Look, if you would, over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. In 1 Peter 5, 7, as you're turning to Matthew 6, we read, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Now, I'll say this. It doesn't matter how much you know God loves you. It only matters if you feel like he does. You say, I don't agree with that. Well, then you obviously, I I don't know what your problem is, but I'm going to tell you something. Nothing motivates me until it hits my heart. Mine eye affecteth mine heart, the Bible says. You know why the heart needs to be affected? Because it ultimately affects the hands. It's one thing to have it here, the head. It's another thing to have it here, the heart. See, you can have this and this going. But you know what will happen? You'll get burned out. You know what happens with this and this? You'll get bitter. You know what happens with this and this? You go weary in well-doing. You know what happens when you have just this and this? You start to look at other people and wonder why you're the only one that's working so hard and why nobody cares about what you're doing and how come you're never recognized. 
And pretty soon when you have just this and this, you get weary of that. You get tired of that. And you feel like you're being overlooked and you're being taken advantage of and that nobody cares about you. And so what do you do? You quit. You give up. You throw your hands in the air and you say enough's enough. This Christianity thing's a bunch of... Let me tell you something. You better make sure it's here. It goes from the head to the heart, then the hands. Until it gets to the heart, my friend, it will never motivate you. I'll tell you one thing. I never have a problem loving my wife because it's in my heart. But watch, couples sit in front of me all the time. You know what they say? I just don't know if I love him anymore. You know what they're really saying? Well, I know I made a commitment at an altar. I know I said until death do us part. I know that I said I'd love to the very end. But I don't feel like that anymore. I don't feel like it. And you know what? When you don't feel like it, you do a pretty poor job usually of showing it. You better find it in the heart. You better get it here. Boy, I'll tell you what. We have a God who loves us with all His heart. We better learn to love Him with all our heart. He is a God. Look at this Matthew 6. He takes care of us. He meets our needs. I'll tell you what, there shouldn't be a husband in the room. Oh, I, I, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. I understand. It can be burdensome. I do realize. I mean, there have been a couple of times in my life, and this is no lie, where I, I, I sat in my car and I thought, going home, I thought, man, maybe I should just hit the highway and keep driving. You say, you felt like that? Boy, there were times it was just crazy. I've got, you know, with myself, six miles to feed. And I've got bills piling up, so to speak, waiting on the Lord to answer those prayers. I've got a church. I've got people. I've got problems. I've got situations I'm trying to deal with with the folks. And I think, man, I might just, man, I just feel like taking off. Now, I didn't feel like leaving forever. But boy, I felt like leaving for at least a good two or three or four weeks. And again, I feel that way right now. But anyway, I, but, but the fact is, I could always go away for a month if you let me. But, but uh Unlike missionaries, well, I'm just going to throw a little dagger in there. Unlike missionaries, we can't afford to leave like that as pastors. Okay, so anyway, so I'd throw that in there. Can you imagine, honestly, can you imagine if I said, by the way, church, I'm going on a one-month furlough. I'll be, I mean, a one-year furlough. I'll be back in a year. Keep paying my salary. Keep taking care of my needs. And hold the fort, baby. Think about that for a minute. That's what missionaries do. You know, some missionaries are getting wise to that. And they realize you can't leave for a whole year. Your whole ministry falls apart and you have to go rebuild the whole thing again. If they'd only asked me that years ago, I could have saved them a lot of trouble. But anyway, nobody cares what I think about that stuff. And I'm not a missionary, so it's easy for me. But anyway, the fact is, is that, and I just threw that in. I just thought you'd enjoy that. But anyhow... His care. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I'm sorry, I just can't get past that statement. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor 
gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Who's the they? Let me tell you something. I'm not saving no bird over a human being's life. I'm not saving some animal over a human being's life. Are you not much better than they? Aren't you better than they? Someone says, I don't think that's right. I think animals have just as many rights as human beings. You don't know the Bible, friend. They don't have souls. Living souls. They have souls. Take that back. They don't have living souls. Not eternal souls. Again, I'm not, you know, biblically we've got some direction about this. You don't treat animals cruelly. That's not right. You don't do that. But I'll tell you one thing. There's no animal that's equal with my child. Not one. I've never met one yet. There's no cow. There's no chimp. There's no bird. There's no lizard. There's no ant that's more important to me than my kids. And by the way, when God looks at you and I, His children... He said, there ain't no animal more important than you either to me. Well, he cares about us. He goes on to say, I, I know if you're an animal lover right now, you're really upset with me. And, and, you know, make sure you get an extra glass of punch to cool down tonight. But which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Isn't that amazing? Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. You say, what's that do? That's talking about judgment one day. Remember, the earth will be burned up. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take, not, uh, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? That, that's a revelation, isn't it? Think about how many times we ditch God so that we can meet our immediate needs. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just saying, I want you to think about that for a minute. We talked about that in our singles class a little bit because we're trusting God. We're talking about trusting Him instead of man, instead of people. I mean, how many times has a, a young person ditched the house of God, ditched the work of God, ditched God Himself to get an education because they thought that would ultimately give them a future that was bright? Well, I can't go to church right now, preacher. I'm in the middle of school and it's just costing me too much time. I, I'd have to choose between God and the schooling. I'm, they won't say that, but that's exactly what we're doing. How many young people, and unfortunately, parents, listen to me, don't allow your young people to make this decision. That's a bad one. You know, when you give young people an opportunity to make decisions, make sure they're all good decisions. And teach them to make good decisions by having all three good decisions or two and say, you have a choice between this and this. Which one? Don't go ahead and say this bad one. Oh, you're allowed to watch R-rated movies or you can watch G-rated. It's up to you. That's stupid. You can watch G movies or VGs. (laughs) <laughs> you know they can't go wrong with that one. Well, maybe. But anyway, the, the fact is, is that we got to be careful with that. And in this case, we're, we're looking at this and we better be careful. What shall, why are we taking thought of what we shall eat, what we shall drink, wherewithal shall we be clothed? Do your work as a man. Do your job as a, a lady. Make sure you're fulfilling your God-given purpose. And God will take care of the rest. He'll work it out. Because notice what he says in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient of the day is the evil thereof. Boy, the Bible's pretty simple, isn't it? It's just not always easy in our minds. It's confusing to us. 
Well, how am I supposed to? I, I don't even want to get into it because I'm ready to go off on a tangent. So anyway, we see this here real quick because it is Pastor Appreciation Night and we've got a refreshments waiting. So he is to be trusted. I mean, aren't you glad you've got a God that can be trusted? We've got a God who cares for us. He meets our needs. He provides for us. He takes care of us. Now listen, I don't care how poor you think yourself to be. Have you ever seen how some people live in this world? I mean, have you ever done any research and seen how other people around the world live? If, if you'll do that, there is no way in the world that you can possibly think that you're being deprived of anything. We are so blessed in America, financially. But because we have so much materialistically, we are dead spiritually in many cases. You have to be so careful with this. Now, we have a God that can be trusted. We have a God that can be treasured. And finally, we have a God that can be touted. That word touted, if you don't know what it means, because it is an unusual word these days. It's not used too often. It's to promote or praise energetically, publicize, touted. We can say praise, but again, I'm hitting the T's here. Trusted, treasured, touted. I had to stay with a T. Okay? So touted. you got a God that can be touted. Think about the God that we serve, His faithfulness. Man, when we start talking to other people about the God we serve, then we can say, man, He is unbelievable. I'm going to talk to you about how faithful He is. That's a wonderful thing. We have a lot to be thankful for. The faithfulness of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, look at that verse. What's one of the areas He's so faithful to us in? And again, we could look at 20 verses, 30 verses on this. Easy tonight. Never exhaust it. But I'm just going to give you just two verses. But this verse is important, I think. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, notice his faithfulness to you and I as believers. And the fact is, although we're believers, we still have to live in this flesh. And let's be honest, it's not always easy. But thankfully, he's faithful. Notice it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We can stop right there because, let's face it, the fact is, is every one of us are going to face temptation. And by the way... You're not the first. It's common to man. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm facing. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Somebody else has already faced it. It's common. You're not the only one in the midst or the throes of temptation right now. It's common. You're not, you're not being dogged out. You're not the one being picked on. Everybody faces this. It's common. Sooner or later. And somewhere in this world, somebody. Yeah, but my specific problem is this. Somebody has faced it. It's common. It's funny how it is. If we think something is uncommon, we feel it gives us the right to somehow dismiss our responsibility toward it. God makes it very clear here. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. I'm glad God's faithful. We have a reason to praise our God. We have a reason to be thankful for our God. He's faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It's, now, let, let's just look at it. But will with the temptation. And I don't have much time, so I want to f- finish this real quick. But will with the temptation. Let's just assume, like, now let's see, left to right, because that's how we think and how we read. But let's just assume right here now for a moment that this is the temptation. Okay? There's the temptation. I'm walking along in my life, and I come across temptation. And I keep going. And I find myself in a real mess. 
And I go, but Lord, you promised to give me an escape. You promised to give me an out. You said in your word that you were, you were faithful. You'll not suffer to be tempted above that you were able. That you'll give me that escape. Let's read it again. I mean, I'm just looking at it here. He says simply here in the passage, he says, but with, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So I should be able to bear this. I should be able to escape this if necessary. Hold on a second. It was back here he told you the escape plan was. It wasn't once you got into it and you've already yielded to temptation. The escape plan's back here when you're confronted with temptation. Not when you're overwhelmed by it. Not when you've already been conquered by it. And we get it all mixed up. You don't understand. My life's falling apart, preacher. And, 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 and God's supposed to give me an escape plan. I don't see any way out. Guess what? You passed the escape plan. Now you get to go through it. Now he'll go through it with you if you let him. Or you can go through it alone. But when you make those kind of decisions and I make those decisions and we dismiss the escape route when the temptation is confronting us, then we, we, we step into an arena that is going to demand and, and require some consequences. What do I do with the temptation? I flee, right? Isn't that what Joseph did? He fleed. He got out of Dodge. He said, no way, I'm gone. If anybody would have been caught in a mess, it should have been Joseph. But as soon as the temptation was confronted him, he took off. And that's exactly what we need to do. That's the escape. God gives us an escape that we can bear it. But the fact is, is that so many times we failed to bear it. We Instead, we've embraced it. And then we wonder where the escape plan is. It was back there. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's got a work he's doing in your life, and he's going to do that work. And you know what? To some degree, he's going to do it with or without your help. He's going to do the work. You know why Christians are, Christians are so miserable? Because they're not yielding to the Lord. We're taking matters in our own hands. We're trying to, we're, we're, we're resisting him. And he's convicting us. He's telling us what we need to change. He's given us very clear direction in the Word of God. And we dismiss it. We say, I don't, I'm not going to follow the Word of God. Whether it's in my finances, whether it's in my relationships, whether it's in my dealings with uh, business or others. I'm going to do it my way. And we wonder why we're so miserable. And God has to raise up the heat level. Get our attention. He says, ultimately, you don't want to yield to the heat. You may be consumed by the fire. And I'm not talking about hell. There is a sin unto death, he says. The fact is, is that God's saying, listen, you need to do things my way. You need to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do that work. I, look, watch, being common this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He's going to do his work. Whether you're going to yield to it or not is another issue. And that's a decision we make ourselves. Finally, we see his faithfulness, but then also his fortune. When I think about the Lord again, man, he has, we have so many reasons to be thankful for him. But when I think about reasons to praise him and reasons to tout him, reasons to lift him up in the world, his faithfulness and his fortune, the fact is, is that he meets my every need financially. He provides for me in so many ways. He is rich beyond compare, not just in this life, but I'm talking about eternity. Think about what God gives us. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're going to have a new body one day. Yeah, a new body. You're going to have a new home. You're going to be in New Jerusalem. Wow, isn't it going to be a wonderful place? And that's something that He gives you. I mean, we have every reason to, to thank God, to be so thankful for what He's done in our lives, what He's doing every day for us. We can thank Him because He's a God that can be trusted, treasured, and touted. What a wonderful God we serve. You know, most gods are in graves today. Or they're wood or stone or clay. They can't hear. They can't do. But we have a God that's alive today. Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, came and literally lived a life. He suffered, bled, and died on our behalf. And He rose again the third day to ever be seated at the right hand of the Father. He's alive today. Well, we have a God that can be, boy, ought to be great. we ought to just be so thankful and so grateful for Him. Him, who He is and what He is. And when it's all said and done, let's be honest, whether we ever get what we think we deserve, He still deserves to be praised. And that, that one's an easier one said than done. But it is a reality. May God help us to be thankful for the God we serve. Je- Paul was thankful. Can you imagine that? Sitting there and under lock and key, a guard at his side, not able to perform the mission that he believed himself to do. I mean, there's Britain, the Isles of Britain still waiting. There's Germania down there. He's supposed to go. He feels that God would have him reach those souls for Christ. But he's stuck there in a house under lock and key waiting on Nero. To decide his fate. But Paul was thankful. Because he knew the God he served. For the more we know him, the more thankful we'll be toward him. Father, we come to you.